If Carolina wins that game, I predict right here and now that you're going to see them in the NCAA tournament. This is the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, and there is so much happening right now on the campus in Columbia. So much swirling around the baseball program, which has the big rivalry series coming up with Clemson starting tonight. How about that women's basketball program? Dawn Staley rolling to the number one overall seed. They picked up another win last night. We'll go into that in just a moment. And in men's basketball, South Carolina trying to claw its way back into the NCAA tournament. And they have got a big one coming up this weekend at Alabama. That one tips Saturday night, 8.30 on the SEC Network. So if you don't have too much yard work to do this weekend, if you don't have a trip planned with the family, settle in. There is so much to talk about and so much to see this weekend with the Gamecocks. First of all, Dawn Staley and company, they get another win last night. Yeah, 167, so forget about it. Uh, they've already wrapped up the SEC previously. It looks like they're just going to continue to clean house and roll into the NCAA tournament. They only have one regular season game left. That's coming up this Sunday. And so that's where Don Staley has this program. Uh, number one overall seed, almost a lock at this point. They'll definitely be one of the four number one seeds. And we went over this earlier in the week. Don't forget, South Carolina could make the NCAA Final Four without leaving the state. Uh, they're, they're really set up nicely right now. So, uh, yes, in the SEC Women's Basketball Tournament, by the way, that's in Greenville, South Carolina. So, a lot. Uh, and, of course, they've got uh, the SEC Women's Regional there, too. So, so much in Dawn Staley's favor right now. Not to mention she has the most, clearly the most talented and locked-in team right now in all of women's college basketball. Uh, how about the men's side? Well, you've got Frank Martin needing another victory. And we spent a lot of time uh, playing some clips of Frank Martin this week, where this team is mentally and what they want to do. Great job from Coach Martin and the team responding, winning inside, winning in the paint against Georgia. So now they need to do that again with Alabama. And who better to break that down than Mike Morgan of the SEC Network, who calls so many South Carolina games. If you've been tracking the SEC Network and watching those games so often, you've got Mike Morgan on the call. And so he gets to talk to all the coaches, the ones that oppose South Carolina. So they scout them and, and you know give their thoughts on, on how they are perceived around the league. And then, of course, he's also always talking to Frank Martin and those that closely observe South Carolina. So I think Mike Morgan is absolutely the best person to have talk about Gamecock basketball and also Gamecock baseball because Mike Morgan calls so many baseball games, did for many years there on the campus at South Carolina, and he knows this Clemson and, and South Carolina rivalry inside and out from all the perspectives again and he knows Monty Lee really well uh, because of his time at South Carolina and you know now obviously he knows Mark Kingston well and he's seen what that team has produced so really good perspective there and we'll, we'll get all uh, get all of that in coming up today but right now let's have Mike Morgan explain the net ranking to us because a question came up last night as we were talking to Mike Morgan on Sports Talk 
about why it is that a team like Arkansas would be so far ahead of South Carolina in the net ranking. And this is important because the Gamecocks, it's going to be a part of that resume. And I said the net rankings have not been doing the Gamecocks any favors. I feel like they're a better team. It's not reflective. Uh, They're 64th in the net ranking right now. That's not reflective of how well they're playing and how good a team they are. So we know the bad losses hurt. But what about we're going to Mike Morgan explain it as somebody that you know has to track this as part of his profession. He's got to know what's going on with the net ranking, why it moves and shakes in the directions that it does. So what is it South Carolina can do to improve that net ranking? How much will it matter? And specifically, why a team like Arkansas that South Carolina was able to beat and actually has a better conference record than Arkansas So why do they find themselves 24 spots behind the Razorbacks in the net rankings? It's more of what Arkansas doesn't have in terms of uh, bad losses and what Carolina does have. In other Mm. words, if you remove Stetson and Boston and move them from the Gamecocks resume to the Arkansas resume, the two would virtually flip. Mm. But you can't do that. And so Arkansas doesn't really have a bad loss all year. And they have wins... Uh, at Indiana, which everybody uh, thinks the Big Ten is the best thing since sliced bread this year, mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, and also at Georgia Tech, an ACC opponent. So you add all that up, no bad losses, uh, and some quality wins in SEC play, and that's your answer. Now, do I think South Carolina is a better team? Yes, I I did the game at Arkansas, and the Gamecocks won it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, that's again where. Thankfully, if you're a Gamecock fan, there are human beings in the room that are going to determine these really close cases, who's in, who's not. And the human beings are going to say, yeah, the net's really important. It's a nice kind of Cliff Notes version of a team season. But these two teams played one another, and Carolina won it in Fayetteville, and Carolina has a better conference record. Now, Arkansas fans are going to say, those same human beings need to keep to keep into account that one of the best shooters in the league, Isaiah Joe, was out for five games, and when he was, Arkansas lost all five of them. And when he's been in the lineup, they have a, a much better record and a winning record in conference play. So those are the two forces kind of going head to head in that. What's well, great question, uh, but that's the answer. And certainly, that is a good answer and a good explanation. Uh, and when we come back. We're going to hear the explanation as to why Mike Morgan thinks South Carolina is likely an NCAA tournament team, but they have one thing left to do to prove it to him. So we'll do that when we come back. Also, Rick Sanford joins us today. We'll talk NFL Combine. Five Gamecocks are there. Now, Javon Kenlaw is not going to take place in any of the drills. He's got the tendonitis in the knee. Brian Edwards with the injury. But we'll talk to Dr. Rick about the draft prospects of each of these Gamecocks because he's someone that went through the process himself, became a first-rounder, and what the NFL scouts are looking for, it's something that Dr. Rick has tracked all these years. It's it's one of his beats is the NFL draft and the combine. So we'll talk to Dr. Rick about the Underwear Olympics and where the Gamecocks are going to land in terms of draft prospects. Players like Rico Dowdle, DJ Wanham, Javon Kinlaw, Brian Edwards, Joseph Charlton, and more. That's all ahead on this edition of Locked On Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day.
You've got Matt Smith here with you. It is the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. And as I said in the first segment, so much going on this weekend. It's really going to be fun because, look, as Gamecock fans, you know, it's never easy. Your back is always against the wall. There is always stress. And there's so much of it this weekend because Clemson and South Carolina, tremendous baseball series coming up. But South Carolina, you know, 6-2, and a little hot and cold in certain places. The bullpen wasn't great early. The bats hadn't warmed up yet. But now look where you are, 6-2. and two. You take two of three from Clemson, who's 17th, by the way, in the baseball RPI right now. You're really on your way to building a resume toward a regional this season. But that's way down the line. What's directly in front of South Carolina is the rivalry, which is so much fun, and it's one of the best rivalries in all of college baseball. Boy, maybe the best, probably the best rivalry in all of college baseball. So we'll let Mike Morgan comment on that in just a few minutes. But quickly, as I said, it's never easy for the Gamecocks, right? Unless you're the women's basketball program. It's just not easy. And for Frank Martin in South Carolina, they still have some tough tests ahead. You've got Alabama, a team with its back against the wall, in must-win mode as they host the Gamecocks tomorrow night. And then, you know, Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's playing better. Mississippi State, you know how rough and tumble they are. If you saw them play, uh, the Gamecocks play at the hump the other night, you'd know exactly how physical and, and big and imposing Mississippi State can be. And they are a tournament team right now. And, you know, they're, they're playing to improve their seating. So everybody's playing for something. So it's just not easy for the Gamecocks. But here's Mike Morgan of the SEC Network, who has seen South Carolina so much this season on why this is such an important game, and it's such a big prize if South Carolina can win it. Mike Morgan looks at this Gamecock team and thinks if they win Saturday, they are a tournament team. And then you'll hear our own Dr. Rick Sanford press Mike a little bit on, all right, if this is going to be a tournament team, how good can this seed get? But Mike starts us off with this game being not just important for South Carolina, not just crucial to Frank Martin and the Gamecocks, but also to the Alabama Crimson Tide. So Alabama, you're going to be getting Alabama's best shot. Uh, I just had them at Ole Miss. They completely annihilated Ole Miss uh, on the road in Oxford. Uh, Ole Miss tried to zone Alabama, and Alabama can shoot the three ball as well as any team in the country, especially when they're on. That's a big part of their offense, and Kyra Lewis is a special player who can also penetrate. Uh, they don't have a whole lot inside. I would expect Mike Coates are to have a big game, uh, but you're gonna, you're gonna, there will be a good crowd there on Saturday, and Alabama will be, again, they'll be playing for their postseason lives because they know they cannot lose it. If Carolina wins that game, I predict right here and now that you're going to see them in the NCAA tournament. Because when I look at the rest of their schedule and I look at the way they're playing and I see the potential for favorable matchups in the SEC tournament, Frank has always been a good tournament coach. Uh, I think if you can somehow pull that off on the road at Alabama, it is a quad two win. And I'll let you explain to your audience what that means, but let's just put it this way. It's a good thing. And it's something the NCAA Tournament Committee will look at. It's not where they are when you play them. It's where they wind up, which is which is why, you know, if you're the Gamecocks, as hard as it is to do, you want to keep pulling for Clemson to win games because you want that win at Clemson to look better and better and, and enter a, a better quad. Top 75 net ranking 
and you can beat them on the road, that would be a quad one win, which is even better than a quad two win. And I'll also let you explain that to your listeners. <laughs> but bottom line is, uh, I think it's, you know, I, it, it's, the, it's the one game left on the schedule because there's no Kentucky, Florida, uh, LSU, Auburn games left, right? So, I mean, this is, this is the one, and this is the sure. resume builder before the SEC tournament. I think this is the hardest game left. I think Carolina at home against Mississippi State is an easier game than on the road at Alabama. Mm -hmm. And if you can't beat Vanderbilt, I'm not saying Vanderbilt's easy. Look, I, I did the game where Vanderbilt beat LSU, led Kentucky at Rupp Arena in the second half. I'm not saying it's automatic. I'm just telling you the three games left on the schedule at Alabama, to me, is the toughest challenge. And if you're good enough to win that, you should be good enough to win the next two. And if you're good enough to win the next three, I think they're in. All right, Mike, all right, question for you then. If they're in... Where's what? What would be your projection on the seed? I, I gotta be honest with you. I haven't even thought about that. I, if I'm looking at it from, let me. Well, all right. Since you asked, let me throw it out there. Just uh, fire it out there. I'll just throw fire out a number for the sake of radio. Let, let's say they they do that, and then they win a game or two in in Nashville. What's depending on whether they how they do in Nashville. Let's give them a, an eight seed. About mm. that, an eight or that's, a nine. That's pretty impressive, actually. I, I I didn't think that high. Well, again, that's if the scenario we're laying out. And I I <laughs> right now uh, there's probably going to be somebody in the coaching staff saying, "Don't jinx it." But <laughs> I mean, the scenario we're laying out is. They win the next five games. Yeah. If well, they win the next five games, then yeah, I think they'll be an eight or a nine. Now, let's say uh, let's say they win two out of three, and then they win two in Nashville. I mean, and then it could be a ten. It, it, yeah. The bottom line for me, Rick, is this: I don't really care what the seed is, and I don't think seeding is as important this year as it ordinarily is because I think there's so much parity this year in college basketball. What Frank Martin and that team needs to do is just get in. Mm -hmm. If they get in, who who cares about the seed? They'll have a chance to beat whatever team's in front of them. We've seen it this year. They can beat the very best team in the SEC, which happens to be one of the very best teams in the country in Kentucky, and they can lose to some of the lesser teams. Yeah. So whatever their seed is, at the end of the day, fans just want to see this program back in the NCAA tournament. They got a taste of it with the Final Four. They haven't sniffed it since. They want to get back in the big dance. And how about that baseball series coming up? And I, as I told you, Mike Morgan called a lot of these. And as good a pitching matchup as you will see anywhere, unless Vanderbilt and Louisville play each other somewhere on the schedule, and I don't even know that they can better a pitching matchup. Two aces. This is like Pedro Martinez and Randy Johnson going at each other in their prime, the college version of that. Clemson brings to the table Sam Weatherly. Southpaw with an ERA of less than one. And South Carolina counters with their righty ace, Carmen Majinski, with an ERA less than one. So Mike Morgan has seen a lot of these, and here are his thoughts on the baseball series, why it's, it, if not the best, one of the best college baseball rivalries out there, and the one thing he'd do to improve upon it. It's a big year for really both these coaches. Uh, Monty Lee is a guy I have a lot of respect for. I obviously know him very well from his time uh, at Carolina. Uh, and when they hired him, I think everybody uh, on the planet thought well, that was a slam dunk hire. But they haven't made it to Omaha. 
And uh, I think the criti- a lot of the criticism of Mark Kingston has been incredibly unfair. It's his third year, uh, and obviously there was a lot of turnover. In his first year, he's one game away from Omaha. Last year, they're banged up. So it's always a big series. I wish it was later in the year. I've said that. I'll continue to say it. It deserves better weather, and it deserves a national TV audience. Uh, but you won't get either when you're playing it this early. But at least you'll see the team's top three starting pitchers on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday setting. Uh, I like the home away and neutral field. So it's one of my favorite uh, you know, clashes out there that I had a chance to call many of those games over a 10-year span, and it should be a great great experience for one fan base and not so great for the other. It's going to be crackling this weekend for the Gamecocks and the Tigers. Game one, Founders Park, 7 o'clock tonight, and then all throughout the weekend. We'll be sure to recap it on Monday with you. What else is going on in the world of the Gamecocks? Well, you've got five Gamecocks at the NFL Combine. Now, Javon Kinlaw not participating Tendonitis in the knee, not a lot left to prove either. Then you've got Brian Edwards suffering an injury, a broken foot, so he's out uh, as well of the combined skills and drills. But we're going to dig in with Dr. Rick Sanford, a former first-round pick himself, on the draft prospects of these Gamecocks, why some of them have dropped and why some of them have risen. And there's no one better to talk to about this topic than our own Rick Sanford, seven-year NFL veteran. We'll do that when we come back and close out the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your team every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Time now to talk NFL Combine with Rick Sanford, a former first-round pick himself. And we're going to talk about the draft prospects to for guys like Javon Kinlaw, who's almost certainly uh, in the top half of that first round. How about Brian Edwards, uh, who rewrote the record books at South Carolina? Certainly has the size. Does he have the top-end speed? Was the consistency there for Brian Edwards? Uh, these are questions NFL scouts are asking, and we're going to dig into those with Dr. Rick Sanford. Also, Rico Dowdle, someone I always thought was very talented and really flashed brilliance, but couldn't stay healthy. So how would an NFL scout view that? Well, Dr. Rick Sanford made himself a first-rounder in his time at South Carolina, the very first in Gamecock history, uh, fashioned himself a seven-year NFL career, and the combine and the draft are two of the things that Dr. Rick loves to think about, talk about, and he shares those thoughts with us here. The combine itself, Smitty, lends itself to athleticism. I think you need to go there and show the people what type of athlete you are. Um, I don't think that it, it is an, uh, an end-all to the draft, but I certainly think it, it can help you and it can hurt you in both ways. A lot of times a guy looks a lot better uh, in shorts and shoulder pads than he does in uh, in, in a full gear. So I think that, um, you know, that you have to take some of it with a grain of salt. You can't just say, uh, you know, I'm going to spill it all here and then, you know, not been, not have been productive on the field. Uh, so I, I think it's a nice blend as long as you can, um, you know, go there and perform well, be in shape, 
and, and do everything they ask of you. I, I don't like these guys who sit out and don't, don't, uh, don't participate. Um, even if you're a first rounder, you're going to have to do it at some point anyway. So you might as well do it uh, there. And I think it probably lends you to making a better performance because of all the other great athletes around you. So I don't know why these guys, uh, outside of maybe just not being out of shape or maybe being a little injured, why they wouldn't go ahead and perform at the combine. Because uh, even if you are a first rounder, you can make yourself a better first rounder there uh, if you go out and do the things they ask. Well, let's start at the top. Uh, you know, Javon Kinlaw is one of those guys, and you can talk about this a little bit, body type. You know, you played the NFL for seven years, and there's certain guys that just are naturally large. And there's other guys that have to, you know, put that weight on in the weight room and carry it. But Javon Kinlaw is a guy, you know, I got to interview him several times this year. He's a behemoth. He carries it naturally. So he might be one of those guys that it's important for him to go just so everybody can see him in shorts and a T-shirt to see just what that frame looks like. Well, I, I agree with that, Smitty. I think he needs to be there, uh, in, at least answering questions. Now, I know, now, see, he has a legitimate reason why he's not performing right now. Uh, that being, of course, that he's still recovering from some of the knee tendonitis that he had suffered uh, during the uh, season and at the Senior Bowl as well. It was aggravated a little bit. So I certainly understand his plight, but you need to go there. You need to answer questions. You need to get familiar with general managers, uh, with pro personnel directors. Uh, coaches. Uh, it's very, very important uh, that you establish some type of bond and, and relationship because, I mean, let's face it, it's a job interview. That's what it is. And this is a major job you're getting ready to undertake. And there's not a lot of jobs out there uh, for guys uh, this age that can make that type of money. So you want to go up in there and make a great impression. Yeah, you might sign several contracts in your life, but you're only going to get drafted once. That's right. But Ken Law, let's stay on him for a second. He's a first-rounder, right, no matter what happens. Well, I think he is. I think right now uh, his performance at the Senior Bowl cemented him as a, as a first-rounder, uh, mostly the practices. That's what a lot of these guys don't get when they go to these all-star games. It's not necessarily the game performance that they're looking at. Heck, a lot of the, uh, the, uh, the scouts for the different teams don't even stay for the game. They just watch the performance during practice. And so um, I was very geared in uh, when I was at the East-West Ryan game and at the uh, Senior Bowl because I knew. I knew that, you know, I've got to practice well every day. I mean, every day is a game performance uh, at these all-star games. So, And then when you get uh, to the um, combine, it's the same thing. So um, I, I think that, you know, you've got to let it all hang out because um, I do think that Ken Law worked his way, as I said, in the Senior Bowl uh, but he's probably right now, Smitty, my guess is as high as um, eight or nine of the first round uh, on to about 20 of the first round. So I do think he's somewhere between eight and 20, uh, somewhere right now in the first round. Uh, and I think somebody's going to be getting a good one based on his production his senior year, the way he, he transformed his body. I, I like everything right now about Javon Kinlaw at the, at the next level. Well, what about a couple of guys that – are really they're, they're far from locks which rico dowdle and dj wanham let, let's start with dowdle i find him absolutely fascinating he's a guy that i always saw talent in but because of his injuries i don't know that he had the career at south carolina that matched his potential so kind of as an nfl guy looking at rico dowdle what 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 is he missing 
that's keeping him from being talked about as a draftee? Is it the top end speed? Is it the fact he couldn't stay on the field? What what is keeping Rico Dowdle, you know, kind of right now from being an NFL guy and can he get there? Well, he's a solid player, Smitty. He's just not – you hit the nail on the head on both things. He's, his durability has been a real question. He's missed a lot of games. Uh, he's been off injured uh, many, many games, many times. And, um, you know, that is working against him. His top-end speed, I think, is working against him as well. Now, is he a productive football player when he's on the field? Yes. I do think some team will look at Dowdle, but I, I, I think that the question on him is going to be durability. And um, we've seen guys like him before that have, have been problems in college and staying on the field, but for some reason when they get into professional football, they do fine and they don't have those problems. I do think it's hurt him draft-wise. I, I think that he's probably high-end right now, um, fifth, sixth round, in my opinion. And uh, some team may take a flyer on him in the seventh round or so. I just don't think he's um, uh, going to be a high pick because of, of his durability, mostly. Well, what about DJ Wanham? There's a guy, and, and I don't know that he's necessarily built the way the NFL likes their, their outside pass rushers now. They love it when these guys, you know, they've got those fast twitch muscles and can come off the edge. You Derek Thomas, a guy that you would have been in the league against, just put their hand in the ground and come off fast. Wanham is, he looks to me like more of a balanced defensive end. So that could be fine. He might make an NFL roster, but he's probably not going to get drafted very highly. Well, I agree with that, too. I think Wanham is, is another guy. He's productive when he's on the field. He's missed games as well. So he's had some issues with injuries uh, also that have caused him. I do think he's a solid football player. I do think somebody will take a flyer on him, and, I, and it's probably um, the same situation as Dowdle, uh, except his may be a little bit better uh, because of uh, he has not missed the amount of games I don't think that Dowdle has. But I do think he's productive when he's on the field. And so, you know, somebody may take a flyer on him. A lot of these guys may be looking at uh, free agency, uh, particularly those two guys. But uh, I've got a sneaking suspicion that somebody may take a flyer on both of them. Well, one thing you've got with those guys is you get good film, right, because they play in the SEC, they play against Clemson every year. So you see them against competition. So there's no real questions about the film, right? No, no question about the film. The, you know, like I said, I mean, but, you you know, the, the NFL, Smitty, is all about durability, quite honestly. If you can't stay on the field, these teams don't want to have to pay that type of money to, for, for lack of production. So, um, you know, regardless, you know, the minimum salary in the NFL is about $430,000, and that's for a free agent out there. Uh, so, you know, that's a lot of money they're paying and putting out for a guy that can't keep himself healthy and can't stay on the field. That being said, um, I do think those guys are productive football players. But you got to remember, these guys are going up against guys all over the country, um, you know, who are in the same situation that they're in. There's been non-productivity out of other players as well. And there's been, you know, guys that have been able to, you know, haven't been able to stay on the field for whatever reason. So they're boxing themselves in uh, to that, that area uh, that that's not a good area to be in. 
Well, we're starting to see what went wrong with the Gamecocks the last couple of years, right? All the guys you're talking about couldn't stay on the field. Well, yeah, I think I, that was a big problem. I, I think it was a, a huge problem. They couldn't stay on the field. And I do think they had some offensive issues uh, uh, and defensive issues at times. So, yeah, I think that was a, that was a big problem with the Gamecocks. All right, now one more about uh, the draft. Uh, Brian Edwards, and, and he's, got, uh, he's injured. He won't participate. Uh, but Brian Edwards, so intelligent and uh, and well-spoken, so I think he can do well in the job interview side. He's an interesting one, Rick. You talk about a productive player. He, he left South Carolina with almost every receiving record, but he he doesn't leave with much of a highlight package. He's not Debo Samuel. He's not Pharaoh Cooper. He's not even Alshon Jeffrey or Sidney Rice in that regard, but mm-hmm. but he's, he's built – really well and his 40 time is better than you'd expect so because he's a long strider kind of like you you were tall and a long strider probably faster than you mm-hmm. appeared to be so what, what do you see with brian edwards and, and and what could his nfl career be like well with brian uh you know another guy here we go again we ha- he had some injuries uh you know he, he didn't play didn't miss a ton of time, but he, you know, these teams look at this, Smitty. They look at, at at how much time you do miss and your productivity while you're out there. Certainly can't argue the productivity. One thing that I think Brian misses is I think he's a super teammate, a super kid. I think one things that one of the things that 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 will hurt him is his hands at times. He's dropped balls that that were um, you know very catchable, and then he makes you know dynamic catches. But you've got to be able to pull in balls that that are easy as opposed to just making top-end catches. You can't drop, you know, footballs and expect to stay in the NFL for very long. So I do hope he's worked on his hands a little bit. I think he's got great hands with, you know, with, with these outstanding, hard, difficult catches. It's just the things that are thrown right to him, I think, sometimes that, that he's had issues with. The other thing is, is his top-end speed. You're right. He does. He's more of a long strider. I don't think he has top end speed for a burner in the NFL. Is he going to be a one wide receiver, one of those outside guys? I kind of doubt it. I don't. I don't see him in that role. I see him as more of an inside slot guy. Uh, you know, a, a, a three receiver, a two receiver, maybe at best, but a, a three guy that you can bring in on on passing downs and and look for some productivity out of. Him. 